further opposition to the rebuilding. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt, that I had, sorry, that I had rebuilt the wall, the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed now strengthen my hands. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, Maggie. Well, today is our uh, penultimate week in our series on Nehemiah. I know many of you will be in mourning over that. Um, but we've been thinking for quite a few weeks over uh, rebuilding the broken walls of Jerusalem. And some of the things we've thought about are uh, facing painful realities, recognizing there's something really bad happened. We need to make, do something about it. 
learning how to ask for help from other people as well as to pray how to ask God, uh, the difficult task of actually getting on, how do we make a start, resisting uh, discouragement, intimidation, and last week thinking about how do we manage conflict. Fortunately, churches never have conflict because everyone's a Christian, so sorry if you're new to church, that was a joke. Another one, I'll, I'll give you a heads up next time. There's all sorts of struggles, um, but today we're thinking of a second last thought, and it's from that reading. And I'm sorry to shock you, I'm going to put up a rude word on the screen. Procrastination. For those of, oh yes, sucking of teeth. Uh, in case you're not familiar with this, um, procrastination is the act or habit of putting off or delaying, especially something requiring immediate intent attention. Now, none of you, of course, would do this, but it has been known amongst the human race. There's something really important, but we get into a habit of, well, just putting it off. And so, human activities, there's the things I should do, and then there's the different circle, things I would like to do. Sometimes they overlap. And then there's the things I do when I'm procrastinating. It's things I do to avoid doing things I ought to do. So this is a church. We've talked about repentance and, and sin. I'd like you just to uh, turn to your neighbor, uh, unless your sins are so great, and, and confess your sins of procrastination. Honestly, I, and there won't be a personal feedback afterwards, just between you and them, unless you've got the microphone. What do you do? What are your activities, space invaders? What do you do when you procrastinate? You know that's one of your go-to activities. Let's see how this goes. Okay, well, uh, some of you look like this is the best bit of the service so far, talking about your favorite hobby or something. Well, we'll, we'll see. As he's not here, I'm going to tell a story about one of my sons. I won't name him, but if he ever hears this sermon on, online, because you can hear them from our website, he'll know it's him. Um, and he, uh, for all his uh, A-levels and GCSEs, would do the most amazing revision plans. They were color-coded charts. He just never quite got down to revising. So the, the fun was in that bit. Okay. One of the things I find so attractive about Jesus is that he is so focused, not in a ruthless way, but he knows who he is and he knows what he's trying to do. He knows what his life is for. And in Luke's gospel, we get it particularly, Luke 9, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem Sometimes it says he set his face like flint. You know, he'd made up his mind he was going to do something. In Luke 13, he says when, when he's being intimidated, he says, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. I mean, he's decided what he's going to do. In Luke 17, now on his way to Jerusalem, it's just part of the narrative, but he is going on a journey. He knows where he's going and he's going to get there. And yet, he's constantly interrupted by 
well, in the narrative, it's quite irritating people. People in need, people who are unwell or lost or angry at him. And remarkably, he gives them total love and full attention and somehow doesn't get pulled out of shape. He still is clear what he is doing, what his life is for, and yet he possibly welcomes interruptions. Is That's how it feels like. Because I can do one or the other. I can be very focused, but rude to people. Or I can really welcome and, you know, and then I don't get on with what I should have been doing. Do you know what? Are you familiar with that sort of dynamic? Um, so it's really a question of, well, how does he do it? Is it, well, of course, it was easy for him because he knew he was the second person of the Trinity. I don't think so. He learnt how to do it, and weirdly, he expects you to do it. He expects me to learn how to do it because he says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you as well. But it's putting first things first. That was uh, point three of Stephen Covey's book on um, highly effective people. I never even finished the book. I mean, I, I got lost doing something else, um, Angry Birds or something. But Jesus expects us to learn how to put first things first. And the first thing is the kingdom of God. And then everything else will get into its right place. So it's a question of prioritizing. And it's a question about being intentional, which weirdly enough can include the intention of being interruptible. We could choose to make space because we know people matter. And I want to tell you a story which I don't come out of at all well. Many years ago, there was a lady who phoned me up um, and she was quite a young mum and sadly she was dying um, and she really wanted to speak to me. And she said, my family don't have any faith. I don't really either, but I, I just know I need to speak to you. But you can only come when they're not around. And so the diaries were a bit complicated. And I looked at my diary, and for two weeks, I did not have a single space to see her. But I made a space, I made an appointment with her in the third week. By the time I got to her, she was dead. And I felt sick and ashamed. And one of the reasons I felt so bad was because in an ordination service, and we're all invited to one, there's one on the 2nd of July, when uh, Will Burdett is going to be ordained as a deacon, but also Joe Stone, who's coming as a curate. Uh, and then in the ordination of priest service, one of the lines is, the job description is to prepare the dying for their death. And actually, I take that really seriously. But somehow I'd got crazily busy not to have time to even do that. And I felt so bad about it. And I thought, I never want that to happen again. And so I've got strategies to make sure I build in time for people who I don't even know yet are going to contact with me. Does that make sense? I know it really matters, so I prioritize to do that. Because we can be really busy, but not busy with the right stuff. Or it's not that it's bad stuff, it's just not the best or the most important things. And that's why 
You can find out my address and email and phone number, and some people abuse it, but I just don't care because I hate the thought that I would not be contactable. If you can avoid 3 o'clock in the morning, if you possibly can, and if you can't, you can phone me then. I want to be available. However, I will say I do limit myself, none of you, of course, but there are some people I know I limit my exposure because it's not God's will that I give myself wholly to one person and their need. So I'm trying to work out what do I do, how do I live life wisely in a Jesus-shaped way. There's a guy called William Carey who in many ways was the founder of the 18th century missionary movement, an extraordinarily gifted and able and focused human being. And he became a missionary and gathered many others to go to India. And he said something that I find so uh, striking and stirring and provocative. He said, one of the slides has been dropped off, so I'll just tell you, I do not fear failure. I fear succeeding at things that do not matter. Let me say that again. I do not fear failure. He was going to go for it. And I don't fear failure. I fear succeeding at things that do not matter. We can easily settle for those sorts of things. It stirs me. It can happen to us as individuals, and it can certainly happen to whole churches. Being busy with the wrong stuff. And in Nehemiah 6, we meet a man who, by the grace of God, has learned how to manage this dynamic, how to cut out distractions, good or bad. And so in verse 2, we read, Sambala and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of... Oh, no. I mean, there's a, probably a clue in that, isn't there? <laughs> Not to do it. And I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? It's a bit rude, really. But I, I love the focus. But the reason is not because he doesn't like people, although, in fact, he doesn't like them. That's just by the way. It's because I'm carrying on a great project. I've got something more important to do and he's prioritizing that. That's what God has tasked me to do. Verse 10, now, uh, Shemariah was one of God's people. He was meant to be an ally, but he could pull him out of shape too. He was shut up in his home. This guy's a bit paranoid. Let's meet together in the house of God, inside the temple. Let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you. He's sowing fear and trying to pull him out of shape. And what does Nehemiah say? I will not go. I'm not doing it. How many of you find it difficult to say no to other people? Okay, so it, it, it depends who it is. If you're married to them, I mean, that's a whole <laughs> different dynamic. No, sorry, I'll just wind that back in. But... It does depend on the context, but sometimes you think, oh, I don't really want to do that, but I've got to. And how we navigate this stuff is actually quite complicated. 
but the effect of his focus by verse 15, so the wall was completed in 52 days. In under two months, so we've been thinking about this massive, discouraging, difficult project, and in under two months, he's done it all. Not alone, he got a whole team who were also really focused and made it happen. So, our most precious resource is time. Let's think about, do you ever talk about killing time or wasting time? I mean, what lunacy is that? And yet I do it. You do it at times. Most of you. Some of you perhaps don't. Um, It doesn't mean we cut out fun. Actually, we really need good doses of fun, of laughter, to be resourced, refreshed. But we're intentional about it. Any of you got to the end of an evening and you watched a bit of television and thinking, well, that was a waste of time. It just was a waste of time. And you think of, oh, there are things, there were better things I could have done. I'm not against television. I love it. But I know in my childhood, I wasted time. And I regret that now. There's a guy called Dwight Eisenhower, whom I never met, but you may have heard of him. He was supreme commander of the Allied forces in the Second World War. And he became uh, eventually the 34th president of the United States of America. And he was very good at difficult decision-making, and there's something in management speak named after him, the Eisenhower sort of matrix. Uh, He said he didn't invent it. He said he got it from his college principal, but it was something that served him. If you're tired and fed up of management speak, feel free to doze. But I find it actually quite useful. So at the top, are things that are urgent, at the bottom things that, uh, sorry, are um, important, sorry, and at the bottom things that are unimportant. And on the left, as you look, uh, are things that are urgent and things on the right that are not urgent. So in green, some things are important and urgent, and just do it. (laughs) It's urgent and it's important, so you do it. But there are things that are not urgent but are still important on the right. So he says, decide. Put it in your diary. When are you going to do it? Because this is important. Don't just let it slide. And then there are some things that are urgent, but they're not especially important. And he says, delegate. Get someone else to do it for you, if you can. And then there are things that are neither urgent nor important. And he says, delete it. Just don't bother doing that. I think, whoa, well, that's easy. Uh, I remember when I was first ordained, and there were, we had in uh, the parish then just a series of uh, challenges, disasters, and stuff. And I remember that feeling of I was inhabiting, I lived in that green space. Everything that was coming at me very, very fast was both urgent and important. And if you live more than 90% of your time in that territory, you suddenly realize, 
I'm going to go around the bend soon. And so I'd make my little excursions into the grey area of things that were neither urgent nor important. I could uh, play solitaire on the uh, you know, computer. I could watch some rubbish on television. I would procrastinate in any way at all just to decompress my brain from the pain I was feeling. I'm sure some of you are familiar with this. Now, this is not... Sometimes it's unavoidable for different... Something comes up that is unavoidable. But the sensible place to live is in the top right, dealing with stuff that's important but not yet urgent. Just think about it. It clearly makes sense. And then think fewer things get urgent because the, the important things have been dealt with. Oh, it's so nice to be the one talking about it, like I can do it. <laughs> I feel somehow empowered. This, of course, is a management tool for work, but it's way more important stuff than that. It's about life. What... I mean, in the language of Nehemiah, your important project, what is the most important stuff in your life? And are you doing that or, or not? And no one else knows. The only prize you get is you've done what you thought your life was for. So I think spending quality time with your friends, with your family, having fun, having space for faith. These all begin with F, by the way. And I, I knew Mark would be encouraged by that. <laughs> um, are you doing the things that you think really matter? Or are you inhabiting the wrong quadrant too much of the time? Um, so my prayer for myself, in, in a way like with... For Anne, getting baptized, it's going public, saying, I've got a faith, and I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I'm going to reorganize my priorities, how I choose to live. If I say I'm a follower of Jesus, that will impact my money, my time, my gifts. All that I am and all that I do will be shaped by this Jesus question, what is my life for under him as I've been gifted for life with God and it's not a dour awful thing it's a joy-filled life but it won't happen accidentally I mean that would be nice but it won't happen waiting for a slow day to come along probably won't happen will it life tends to speed up as we get grown up so we all make good and bad life choices, but we can grow. We get more like Jesus. And I believe, I, I really believe we do have all the time we need to live the life that God always intends for us. But no one else can make it happen for me or for you. We've got to make those choices. So what's your great project? What, what is your life for? And I just want to keep a moment of silence as we each think, am I doing what I want with my life? Because no one else is going to fix it for you or for me. Let's just be still.
Come, Holy Spirit. Give us your divine wisdom for living. May we spend fewer days which by the end are spent in regret because it wasn't a good use of our lives and time. Grant us, Lord, the wisdom and grace to use well the time left to each of us here on earth. Lead us to repent of our sins, the evil we have done and the good we have not done, and strengthen us to follow the steps of your Son in the way that leads to the fullness of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And if you feel you want to sort of in some way do a deal on that and have someone pray with you after the service, perhaps just come and mention it and we'll pray for you that you make good decisions, spend your time well. Sarah, thank you.